You are listening to Best Life After Cancer, Episode 8. Welcome to Best Life After Cancer. I'm so glad you're here. This is the podcast where cancer survivors and caregivers can get solutions and support to overcome the life challenges brought by their cancer diagnosis. If you are ready to release your fear, regain your joy, and reduce your risk, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Dr. Deborah Butzbach. Hi, and welcome back. It is such a pleasure to get to spend time with you every week. I always look forward to sharing my thoughts and knowledge with you. I feel so honored that you are spending this time with me and wanting to hear what I have to say. I'd love to hear your thoughts as well, and you can interact with me on the Best Life After Cancer MD Facebook page to ask questions or leave comments. It is a way you can let me know what you are struggling with, and then I can answer there or in the form of a future podcast. For many cancer patients, I find that weight gain is a real challenge after treatment ends. I think for some, this is partly due to hormonal changes, including cortisol, or the stress hormone, partly medication-based, and partly due to wanting comfort and eating to feel better. Last week, we did some work on the physical aspect of weight loss and reviewed some of the hormones that affect it. The two most important are elevated cortisol and insulin. We discussed how intermittent fasting helps reduce your body's weight set point, or the weight your body thinks it should be at. This week, as promised, we are going to talk about the emotional aspect of it, because when you start to change what you eat, it will cause cravings and urges. Without tools to help with these, you will quickly slide back into eating whatever it is you really want. Urges are still challenging for me, even after a long time working on them. I gave up alcohol entirely for June, and I have been doing well with that. But recently, we saw my parents, and I dropped right into my habit of snacking while we hang out. For sure, I get it. For some people I see, allowing urges is really easy with food. For some of us, the work is a lot harder. But allowing these urges translates into so many other aspects of life, and once we master it here, it will apply to so many other places. And we'll be able to use these skills to elevate our lives. If you are not struggling with weight, there are other places in life where you have urges to do things that aren't productive, and these techniques can apply to them as well. This week, we will talk through what allowing urges looks like. I have talked about what I recommend, which is using your planning brain or prefrontal cortex to plan what to eat 24 hours in advance. Our prefrontal cortex is a part of the brain that is only present in humans. It is the part that allows us to make future plans with forethought, not just from instinct, and it's what allows us to delay gratification to do things that are hard, like going to school where it might not be fun in the moment, but we can see the future benefits. When you plan ahead and get to that next day, the primitive brain will start up with wanting what you always eat. This might feel like a compulsion, and it is really uncomfortable to resist it. When we resist it, the more we push it away or crush it down, the bigger it becomes. This happens in part because your primitive brain thinks that flour and sugar are necessary for survival because they give us a huge rush of dopamine. Dopamine is a neurotransmitter in our brains that evolved to help us prioritize things that are important for survival. Foods that gave us a lot of dopamine were ones that had more calories, and when we found them and ate them, we learned they tasted good and gave our bodies lots of fuel, so we ate them again and again. In modern day, our brain still thinks these foods are important, and unfortunately, 
When we process foods and concentrate sugar, they give us much more dopamine than foods in nature. Because of this, we concentrate the response in the brain, which really leads to significant over-desire for these foods. It teaches our brain to believe that concentrated foods are much more important than they really are. The more we do something, the more we practice it, the better our brain gets at doing just that. Eventually, the pathway is so ingrained that it happens with no conscious thought at all, which is why we feel out of control, and sometimes even that we are eating against our will. The good news, though, is that our brains have neuroplasticity. What that term means for laymen is that we can change the pathways it uses with time and effort. This requires reducing rewards from food and working on new thoughts at the same time. Here might be a good place for me to discuss the difference between physical hunger and emotional hunger. When we have physical hunger, it comes in waves and gets stronger for a bit and then subsides. Often, it starts with an empty feeling in the stomach, and you may notice your stomach growling. If you don't eat right away, this will subside in 10 minutes or so, and then come back in a bit. This process happens with much less discomfort when your insulin levels are not chronically high and you are fat adapted. I dedicated the last podcast to teaching these concepts, so I won't go into that anymore today. Cravings are a desire for a certain type of food and may come with sugar and flour withdrawal. Emotional hunger is when we feel hunger that starts in our brains and travels to our body. This may be due to a desire not to feel some emotion that is uncomfortable. It may be due to withdrawal from flour and sugar. It may be a habit. It used to be that every day I drove by this Starbucks and had a latte in the morning. So when I saw the Starbucks, I was trained to feel an urge for the latte. I never had lattes in the afternoon because the caffeine kept me awake at night. So when I went by that same Starbucks in the afternoon, it did not trigger the same urge. I still have that same urge every day, and every day I work on allowing it, not being surprised, annoyed, or upset. I just allow it to be there and don't give in to it, and I'm slowly making it better. Now my brain says, hey, a latte? And I either say, well, yes, I planned one for you yesterday, so we are going to stop, or no, it's not on the plan for today. We can think about it tonight and maybe put it on the schedule for tomorrow. Interestingly, I think that thought for me is now on autopilot, and I am not even aware of the whole conversation. Part of my brain says, latte, and the other part says, sorry, not planned. The first part says, oh, okay, and we are done and past Starbucks, and it all almost goes on in the background while I listen to a podcast. Previously, the discussion was upfront, and I missed part of the podcast while this suddenly took the front seat in my brain. Back to having made a plan for the day. You need to be prepared. This is almost a perfect storm of events that will make it really challenging for you to follow your plan. When you start restricting food, especially if you give up flour and sugar, your brain will begin to have dopamine withdrawal, which will produce significant cravings. Your body doesn't want to use its fat stores, so you will feel increasing hunger. Somewhere around this time as well, all the stuff you have been using food to avoid thinking about will start to come up. For instance, years ago, you may have been bored at work, and this led to you having a mid-morning snack. You might not even know this snack is to avoid boredom now, because your brain put that thought on autopilot. But when you stop having the snack, oh, that thought will definitely come back. And now you also have ghrelin hormone, which is a time-programmed hormone that makes you feel hungry at certain times. 
You also have a trained thought that your primitive brain wants to keep because it is easy that mid-morning is time for a snack. And you have boredom, which feels uncomfortable. It is no surprise that most people can't overcome the habit with all of that going on. When you read what you have planned, your primitive brain will start with suggestions and then demands that you eat things not on the plan. Here is where you have an urge. It may feel like it is forcing you into the kitchen. Interestingly, our primitive brains can't move our bodies. Only the prefrontal cortex can. So the primitive brain can demand, but it can't physically force you to eat anything. You can respond in one of three ways. You can resist it, you can avoid it, or you can allow it. If you resist it, that is shoving it down, and it keeps popping up like a beach ball held underwater. But unlike a beach ball, it grows every time it pops back up. I sort of imagine this like a beach ball that every time it was exposed to air grew by 10%. Eventually, you would be physically incapable of pushing it back underwater, and then it has to stay on the surface, and it is giant, and you can't do anything about it. The same is true for urges. If you force them down or resist them, they grow, and eventually your willpower runs out and you eat the food. A second way we can deal with urges by, is by avoiding them. If we're avoiding an urge to eat, we may do this by drinking alcohol, shopping, binging on Netflix. These may allow you to avoid the urge in the moment, but it makes it very challenging to get anything else done in life. Drinking alcohol is a problem with urges for food because it suppresses the prefrontal cortex, which leads to us having more problems dealing with urges for food. So alcohol almost always comes with eating the food at some point. Even just distracting yourself may count as avoiding because it doesn't allow you to process the urges. Finally, you can allow the urge and process it, after which it will subside and eventually go away. This is hard to describe, but to me, it feels like trying to put myself into the center of the urge, seeing it and feeling it and almost wrapping my arms around it and welcoming it in. When I do this, I describe how it feels, where it is, I watch if it gets bigger or smaller, and notice to myself, oh, I'm having an urge. It can only hurt me if I try to chase it away. Let me open the door and welcome it in instead. I often find they go away in five minutes or so. Sometimes when I try to move into them, they shrink down into the center of me and I can't even find them anymore. Often they come back each time I see or smell the thing I wanted and I notice, allow, and move on. Each of these allowings counts as a completed urge. We can also notice the thoughts that caused the urge. I have two thoughts that I use when I see something I want. I see something and think, I want that, or it looks delicious. Depending on what it is, I change the thought to, I want and don't want that. I want it for the minute, but I don't want it for the next four hours when it will make me feel sluggish and bad that I gave in. I may also think it looks delicious, but it never tastes as good as I think it will. This thought is really true once you get off flour and sugar and your tastes acclimate a little. We can think of thoughts that create things we don't want as thought errors, just like a processing error in a computer. Thought errors create unwanted desire and unwanted actions because, as we know, our thoughts create our feelings, which drive our actions. Some thought errors I have uncovered in my work breakfast is the most important meal. This led to me eating breakfast every day, even if I wasn't hungry. 
that was such a downfall in my life because it raised my insulin earlier in the day when my body was desperately trying to tell me it didn't need any calories right then and would really prefer to just let my insulin stay low. Another common one for me was if I don't eat it now, I will never get to or it will be gone. Interestingly as well, this led to me being super protective of leftovers if we went to a Thai place about 45 minutes from our house. I would put the leftovers in the fridge and the kids would eat them. I would get so mad because I thought, oh, I had planned to eat that. And I would look around for something else and I would eat other things and I would just be in a snit about it. I realized as time went by that this just really wasn't helpful because what ended up happening is I ate things I hadn't planned and I ate more of the leftovers if they were available than I had initially planned. What I've decided at this point is I don't eat leftovers from restaurants. This allows me to not be in conflict with my kids and allows me to not feel the urge to gobble up all of the leftovers of something that I probably shouldn't have been eating in the first place. Another place that this shows up is when food was in the house that we don't normally have. There's a short window of time in the spring when strawberries are available at the local organic farm. We would pick them and make strawberry shortcake almost every night of the week. This is one of those things that my brain tells me, oh my goodness, if I don't eat it right now, it's not going to be available for a year. It's one of those things that I have realized needs to go on my schedule as a joy eat each week in the spring. And then I need to understand that the other days I can eat the strawberries, but not the shortcake part of it. At that point, it's okay if my family has it, but it is not in my best interests to eat it every night. It actually seems even better when I only have it once a week because it's such a treat on those nights. In the fall, this comes in the form of apple cider donuts. Every time someone dropped them off at the hospital, I felt like I had to eat them because they're only available for a few months. The truth is, they're available at the same farm that the strawberries come from every day of the year. I don't have to eat them in the moment. They're going to be there other times. If I want to plan for one, I can purposely go pick them up at the peak of freshness and sit down on my porch with a perfect cup of coffee and a cider donut and eat them while I enjoy a beautiful view instead of snarfing them down between patients with a cup of stale hospital coffee. Another thought that I have that is a thought error is that it isn't fair that other people can eat what they want and not gain. I think I should be able to as well. This thought always made me feel like a victim and led to eating from that. For many people, a really challenging thought error is one bite won't matter. For so many people, this thought is like a gateway drug of food. One bite opens the floodgates, and for so many people, this leads to a binge or at least eating all of what they were only going to take one bite of. They might not even have been aware of the first thought of just one bite won't hurt. Another thought that really has been a challenge for me is every celebration requires food and drink. This is so prevalent in our society. We really have gotten to the point that every celebration does involve food or drink. Every graduation comes with a party. Every anniversary comes with a special dinner out. Every birthday comes with a birthday cake. We think that if we don't have those things, that the celebration is less valid and less special. This has been a place that I really struggle, and it really has been 
a challenge to find ways to celebrate without food and drink. And it's also been a challenge for me to be at a celebration with food and drink without feeling like I deserve to eat and drink it. This is a place where you just have to have a plan going in and decide what you are and aren't going to eat and drink, and then follow the plan. There are going to be uncomfortable urges in the moment. You may not always be able to allow them. You need to figure out why these urges overwhelmed you and learn from that. This continues to be one of my biggest challenges. As I learn, I'll continue to share with you because I'm sure at some point as time goes on, I'll find more and more ways to help with this. Moving on, I just want to clarify something for you. All urges are caused by thoughts initially, but for many people, they move into an unconscious loop. The best way to attack this is to begin to collect allowed urges. There are three ways I have done this. The first is with an urge jar. You get a jar. It can be cheap, like a sauce jar that you soak the label off of, or beautiful and special, whatever appeals to you more. You collect 100 items. It can be glass beads from a craft store that you put in with flowers, or shells that you collected in the past, or something as simple as pennies. You keep them in a bag, and every time you allow an urge, you put one in the jar. Many coaches believe this gets easier after 100, so that is why we start with this many. Once we get to 100 urges, the unconscious pathway will have been significantly weakened, and you also will be much more aware of it. Another way I've done this is with a list in my food journal. I write the numbers 1 to 100 in my journal and then collect them. The benefit of this is that you can rate them on a scale of 1 to 10 in how strong they were, how long they took to subside, and what the urge was for. I have also done this as an urge jar in my bullet journal, where I draw a gumball machine and color in a gumball for each urge. To date, I have not found a virtual urge jar. It seems like there should be an app for that on your phone where you can add an urge each time you have one into a virtual urge jar on your phone. I'm hoping that some brilliant person will hear this podcast and make one for us. Until someone creates that, you could just use the Note app in your phone as well. Allowing urges helps on so many fronts. It allows you to become more aware both of the urge and what it feels like, how long it takes to pass, and ultimately, it allows you to identify the thoughts causing them. This means you can work on that aspect of your thoughts. Each allowed urge takes away some fiber of that ingrained pathway in your head and weakens it a bit while building a new pathway. A common question is whether you need to start over if you allowed 10 urges and then 8 to make one urge go away. The answer is no. You should evaluate why you couldn't allow the urge. If it just got too hard, then maybe you're still resisting them and you ran out of willpower. This will help you see that you need to work more on your skill of allowing them. It may be that you let habit take over, in which case you need to work on mindfulness and being aware of what you're doing in the moment. Okay, a review for this week. Overeating is the cause of being overweight. In part, it can be due to physical factors like hormones, including insulin, cortisol, and ghrelin. It can be due in part to physical cravings, which are learned and reinforced by what we eat. It can be due to buffering to avoid emotional discomfort. It can also be due to over-desire from eating foods that give huge dopamine hits, leading to a learned reward, which propagates the pathway. We need to manage our hormones, change our diet, and allow urges to eat what is not planned. Allowing urges instead of resisting or avoiding looks like leaning into them and letting them be there. 
It takes work to rewire your brain, and collecting 100 urges can help with a kickstart of the rewiring process. Next week, we will continue this weight loss month with work on making an eating protocol and more work on how to stick to the plan. Thanks for listening to Best Life After Cancer. I would really appreciate it if you could write a review on Apple Podcasts. This allows other patients to find me more easily. You can also find more information on my Facebook page, Best Life After Cancer MD. On the Facebook page, there is a group for survivors and caregivers where you can ask questions or make suggestions for the podcast. I look forward to interacting with you there. Thanks so much for joining me today, and I look forward to speaking with you again soon.